again. Hey, how's it going, Justin? Oh, good, good. Um, so we know all the internet's been hearing about it. We know Zack Snyder's Justice League has come out. The masses have it. A color and black and white. For whatever fucking reason. Is the black and white out? It's out now, yeah. You can watch it in black and white now. I don't want to, but... No. Apparently, yeah. Snyder edited it in black and white while he was laid off. While he was laid off? Oh, you mean, like, while he was... While he left. In in, in, in mourning, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I guess. That turned into what really seemed like WB just taking advantage of him. Yeah, it really seems like it. Well, he was busy getting fucked on. This is something he edited Justice League in yeah, black and white. We've talked about this a lot. Because, you know, we, as part of a, a Batman retrospective, we, we talked about Justice League, the, the Whedon one. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, I think even back then, we were uh, discussing whether or not we would actually watch this. I mean, I think even back then, we were talking about whether it existed or not, but it exists. It's here now. So, I've watched it. I, I don't think you have yet. I have not. I, I have not had four hours of my fucking time to set aside <laughs> to watch this shit. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's, it's fucking... Uh. All right, so... Yeah. Well, here's what I would say. Um, and, and my argument for us probably just doing an episode on it in the future would be that... Um, I mean, I got, a, I got a lot of thoughts about, about the, the Snyder Cut, but, like, uh, the main thing I would say is it's easily a better, more whole experience movie than the theatrical version we got in 2017. Okay. I think regardless of how you feel about Zack Snyder, um, it's, it's just like comparatively speaking, almost an entirely different movie. So that being said, I think we should judge it on its own merits as its own episode and re add it to our Batman listing. Okay. Now, um, granted, it's not a theatrically released film, but it's eventually going to be, and um, it, it it kind of was going to be sort of before they booted Snyder. So I think it still counts in a roundabout way, especially now when like you know, we were only doing theatrically released Batman movies, but that that means jack shit right now. So um, right. Yeah, the pandemic's know. kind of fucked everything up. <laughs> yeah. And like, and pandemic may be one of the reasons why this movie even exists. Very true. Honestly. Um, but I think it, I think I'm down to give it its due diligence. I mean after after hearing people say that it is like a whole different feel and everything. Um, I thought I at first I really thought it was just gonna be like some added scenes and shit. Well it is. And but the weed and stuff cut out. It's so much added stuff and so much restructured right. stuff that like it's kind of just its own thing. Right. And so yeah, you know, springboarding off of that, I think we do need to give it a fair shake. If we gave if we gave the the Weed and Justice League a fair shake, we have to do it to the Snyder Cuts. Well, speaking of which, I got our rankings from last year when we watched. Uh, how many movies is this? Uh, it's like what? Three, six, 12? nine, twelve, fifteen, seven, 15 seventeen movies 17. is here. God. Um, so this would be the eighteenth getting added. Um, it's a lot of Batman. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just looking at the list, and so, like, the bottom three going up are Catwoman, Suicide Squad, Justice League, and I don't know, like, I, I, 
I wouldn't just put it above Justice League if it were just me talking about it. Because mm-hmm. right above that is Batman v Superman, which I still don't like. But I think this is probably better than Batman v Superman. And then above that is Batman and Robin. And I think I can make an argument for it being better than Batman and Robin for sure. So, like, okay. it's, it's definitely not just a situation where it's like, yeah, it's a little bit better than Justice League, but not much else. Like, I think it's significantly better than probably several things towards the bottom of this list. I don't think it'll even crack the top ten. But it's not just as simple as saying it's a slightly better Justice League. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, we'll give it its own. We'll give it its own fair shake. I think uh, we'll we'll attach it to the. We'll put it in. It's going to be a little late, you know, when everybody else is talking about it. But ah, uh, well, that gives us time to, you know. Relook at it. Actually, watch it's, it. It's a long, probably, bullshit movie. Yeah, because so. I'm pr- honestly, I'm probably gonna watch it in parts, fam. I don't think I can sit down and watch something for four hours. I'm not gonna judge you for doing that because it, it really doesn't feel like a movie at all, and it also doesn't really yeah, heard that, like, feel like a TV show either. Because it's I heard that like it's it's in, yeah it's like a, it's like in parts. No, it is. Um, it's no, it's it like is. it's like chaptered out like a Tarantino movie. You know. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, I think just it, for ease of watching it, um, I chose to watch it all at once, which I view as a mistake. Don't do that. It's too much. Watch that stuff in chunks. Maybe like two hours, then two hours. You know? That'd probably be fine. But, um, yeah... I guess when we're done with Miyazaki, which is probably, like, including this episode... Three weeks? Uh, well, including this episode, four episodes total, right. I think. Right. So, yes. when yes. we're done with that, end of April or so, um, I guess we'll just do this. And then we'll transition into whatever our next series is. I think that's okay. probably think the that's better cool. way to do it. Yeah, so it's going to be instead of interrupting this like part of the way through. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt the Miyazaki stuff. I, I mean, I realize we've done that in the past a little bit, but like, I don't know. I don't think it's that important. People will still be talking about this. Yeah, and I think it's also different, like associating like the way people are watching this film. Like, for example, we did Terminator, right? Um, yeah, that was a movie that was in theaters, so we talked about Dark Fate when it came out. Right. Yeah. This is a little different because we we can actually we actually have time to watch it. It's not like we could like with with a movie that's theatrically released, it's not there for that long. Mm. So we can't like wait weeks to go and like see the movie and then talk about it. Where this, we can actually take our time, which is cool. I'll keep an eye on it, but I'm fairly certain it's not leaving HBO Max like some of the other movies are apparently doing. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's like an exclusive to HBO Max, though, so I imagine it's not. Well, I think it's because this isn't necessarily a theatrically released movie. Yeah, like like uh, for example, uh, Tom and Jerry, just for example, is a movie that went to HBO Max and will eventually leave HBO Max because that's also in theaters at the same time. Right. But this is okay. just two HBO Max straight up, I think. So. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. There you go. There's some plans laid ahead for y'all. One episode after we finish Miyazaki, we will uh, talk about the Snyder Cut. Be interesting. I uh, I'm curious to see what you think of it because I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. 
this does not mean it's good. <laughs> but um, it, it's I I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I like about it and a lot of stuff I don't like about it, which is pretty far for the course for Zack Snyder. Uh, I would probably go out on a limb and say it's his best DC movie. Maybe not counting Watchmen. Like, his best of the Man of Steel, BVS, Justice League. It's better than Man of Steel and BVS, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Except for the oh, except for the Jared Leto scene, that part sucks. So stay tuned. Oh, dude, for that's that. the best Batman Joker scene ever, according to random Twitter user. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you could possibly say that when uh, there's that scene in in Batman '89 where like Batman's flying the big plane right at Joker, and Joker just pulls out a very comically large gun. And shoots it down. I love that shit. That's the best interaction between those two characters. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, on with the show. Let's get out of here. All right. Buddy, welcome to the Game Jump Show. Let's get. Hey, how's it going? I'm a, I'm I'm Jub. If you didn't know, oh, I was aware. I at least knew. Out of my, for a hundred, after over a hundred episodes, I hope you know that I'm Jub. You know what I mean? Sometimes I forget. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Me too, buddy. I'm getting old. You know what I mean? And Alzheimer's is kicking in. That's fucking early for that. Jeez. At at the ripe age of late twenties. <laughs> Very specific, Justin. Yeah, I, I actually forget. I don't remember if I'm 27 or 28, if I'm being honest. Pretty sure you're a year younger <laughs> than me, so you're 28. I'm 29. Okay, very good. Very good. Gotcha. Okay, I'm looking I totally forgot. You. I figured it out. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I forget how old I am literally all the time because it doesn't matter anymore. Nah, me too. Time's not yeah. real anyway. The, the year that, the year, <laughs> I think like once you hit like 21, you stop like counting and caring about that. Just, a, just, oh, just straight up. Like, I don't know. Because there's no, like, there's no milestone years anymore, really, besides, like, I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 50, just because it's, like, a depressingly round number. Other than that, no- nothing really changes for you. Mm-hmm. Nope, just time is an endless circle, you know what I mean? You mean a flat one? Flat circle. Yeah. Again, circle. Time revolves around getting hurt. I wish. So today we are uh, talking about Spirited Away. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Um, this is the first time I've seen it. Um, which, uh, you know, considering how much I like Miyazaki, I, I guess would surprise some people. <laughs> this most probably his most famous American release. Well, this is straight up his most famous movie. This is the first maybe anime thing I ever heard of quite possibly because yeah. um, they would ad- they were advertising the fuck out of this and I remember it mm-hmm. like uh, it won best animated feature at the Oscars 
the year it, mm-hmm. it came out. Uh, right. I remember that because I was like, what is this fucking movie? Because usually the nominations for that category are... That's like the Pixar wins category most years. Right. And, you know, right. maybe DreamWorks gets a Shrek in there <laughs> every now and then. But, you know, usually it's it's CGI animated movies, so... I remember specifically seeing that back in the day and going like, what the fuck is that? I probably didn't say that word for word, but <laughs> um, it's really good. It's really weird. Sure is. It's a lot weirder than I was expecting, considering this is like a real like kind of mainstream critical darling. Like Like people talk about this movie as one of the best animated movies of all time all the time. So I was kind of expecting something a little more conventional. Weird. And we'll get a little bit further into but that. It's fucking um, weird, a little bit dude. later. For the time being, um, Gen's going to be talking a lot, but because he has shit going on, I fucking don't. So <laughs> just just to just to preface it off, though, um, you phrase it T like, minus. <laughs> all right. T minus. Whenever the fuck we're done recording, I will be starting my playthrough of Monster Hunter Rise. Um, which is about to come out. The Monster Hunter Rises. As we've known on this show for a hot minute now, I'm a big Monster Hunter fan. Love that series. Think I think it's dope. So I'm going to be playing that, and I will talk about it starting next week, and probably a couple more times after that as I get further into it. Talk about like the end game and stuff after I get through the main story. Okay. But uh, other than that, I actually haven't done jack shit, just slaving my wife life away at my job. So, fun, fun. Again, if you may, I'm sure you've been up to some shenanigans. Nothing important. I mean, nothing. But important. as usual, I'll talk about video <laughs> games. <laughs> I don't know, like what. Uh, all right, I, I've mentioned the past couple weeks I've been playing Shadow of Mordor, and I beat it. I beat it. And I I platted it, and um. I. All right, I don't know. I, I'm not going to be negative at first. I'll say the positives. That game is good. It's probably like a solid eight out of ten. I'd say. Uh, I really, really love uh, screwing around with orcs. Just, uh-huh. <laughs> just uh, getting right in there and fucking their power structure up. It's fun. Letting a letting an orc kill you. So he, like, just straight up letting him murder you so that he rises in the ranks and becomes a war chief, and then you encounter him, and he's like, I've killed you so many times, you pussy. And then you just murder him so hard, and you, like, see in his eyes as you cut off his head that it was all a ruse. You were just basically grooming him into giving you a level 25 rune instead of a level 12 rune. Uh, is great. That shit rules. <laughs> and there's so many dumb things you can do like that in that game. I love that. What I didn't like is kind of a problem, and that's the story. Uh, all the way up to the end, I did not give a shit whatsoever. I, I, Jusby, you've played this game back when it came out. A long time ago, but yes. So, with your vague memory... Mm-hmm. What is the story to Shadow of Mordor? Oh God damn it! I have, 
I have no recollection. Do your best. I just want to see um, what you, you think it is. Okay, so if I remember correctly, you're you're ranger man, right? And then you are a ranger man, sure. And then like the the spirit guy, right? Whoever the fuck he is. Yeah, he's a and he's a dead elf. You are a dead right, yeah. ranger, and you right like, and help each other, I guess. Right, yeah, and you get like that end of it, and I don't know, fucking orcs, and you. You got there's dwarf commanders and you fuck them up. Yeah. And the yeah. game's basically Assassin's Creed. I don't remember anything other than that though. So. Okay. Well, that's because that's go. because the story sucks. Right. Um. It's like the least important part of that game. Yeah. When the reason why people love that game so much had nothing to do with the plot. No, it's it's you know you got that Batman Arkham Asylum gameplay with a Middle Earth skin and these fucking absolute degenerate orcs that you can murder and and also like late in the game turn against each other literally change their like brain just like Mm -hmm. grab them and like just go you know you are your brain is mine now and just they're they're your they're your soldier now that shit is hella fun late game i turned because of the game makes you turn all the war chiefs to your control and, like, one of the last things you do is uh, take, like, your army of orcs and fight another army of orcs. And that part's fun. I'll say that. Um, what's not fun is the final that boss. Like fun. I forget, honestly. Uh, bosses in general, really. <laughs> I forgot about that game. part. Uh, few and far between. But, um, so, the basic story is that you are killed by... Sauron's forces mm-hmm. and this dead elf aligns himself with you and the reason he does so is to try and get revenge and also save Middle-earth against Sauron because he is the guy who helped Sauron forge the rings he is uh, I forget his name but he's he's like a named Tolkien lore character he's the guy who helped Sauron make the one ring and uh so he feels like he was tricked by sauron and then he was murdered of course so he wants to i i don't don't know if redeem himself is the best word but he wants to like get revenge revenge slash save his life and the end of the game uh like you basically like fight sauron kind of and when I say fight Sauron, um, it, it's set up like it's going to be a boss battle. But in actuality, it is a quick time event where you mash square until you like beat Sauron, and then the game ends. And I've never been so disappointed <laughs> with the ending to a game because it's a cool setup for the ending because Sauron is such a... like iconic big bad from watching Lord of the Rings that like it's like holy shit what's a Sauron boss fight gonna be like dude's a giant eyeball what do you fucking mean I fight Sauron and they show him in like a big crazy suit of armor like from the very beginning of Lord of the Rings like when they're showing the war the ancient war and that stuff's cool but like then you don't even fight him and just 
all throughout that story, there's like no notable side characters. Your main dude is boring. Um, <laughs> there's the, the only side character I liked was uh, there's a dwarf you meet who you basically just go on a side arc with where you hunt shit. And he wants to hunt one of the big troll things, uh, Graugs, they call him. So you help learn, like, you, he teaches you how to hunt a Graug, and then you hunt a specific, like, really tough Graug with him. And his personality is fun because he's a, he's a Tolkien dwarf. So, like, you know, he does all those kind of things where he's, like, you know, rude to you. <laughs> and he was fun. But everyone else was kind of just a nothing character, uh, including Gollum, who's in the game for no reason. So, I I would say that game's worth playing to experience like the the orc uh, bad guy system. That's a lot of fun. But everything else just kind of was just eh. The story missions are bad. The story is bad. Uh, no real good notable characters. Uh, the collectibles are boring. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Yep. Um, I'll eventually play yep. Shadow of War, the sequel, which may improve things, but I'm not sure. Uh, apparently, the the gameplay, like overall gameplay, is an improvement, but it has the issue. Um, where it like turned into a what uh, what a good old Jim Sterling likes to call a fee to pay yes type game where um it's uh like it gets to a point where it intentionally turns the entire game into a slog to force you to buy microtransactions and so now this, this big old story behind that is microtransactions got removed from that game right. Right. But the grind didn't get reduced enough to make it tolerable. Yeah, so there's still a big giant grind in that game. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's. I'm sure you're going to get to that point and get annoyed and probably quit well, like most people did. I am not playing it right away, I'll tell you that. Uh, and I'm also not playing the DLC for Shadow of Mordor because I don't care. <laughs> right. That by game, the by, um, by. if you do play Shadow of Mordor, do not try to plat it, because that shit sucks. Yeah, doesn't look fun. Lots of annoying bullshit things. Uh, I think the thing that gave me the most trouble is there's a trophy to kill an orc with an execution while he is on fire. Uh not just an orc, uh, orc, uh, I forget the specific enemy type name, but it has to be a specific type orc enemy type. That sounds not hard, but unfortunately, any means to light an enemy on fire, they either die really quickly before you can get in and do an execution, or... They are not on fire for long enough for you to get over there and do an execution. So you kind of just have to get lucky. I swear I did it successfully like ten times, but it just didn't work. Because the game doesn't register him as on fire for very long. So, you know, I would literally shoot a fire arrow in the man's head. 
and then immediately mash the execution button. And it still wouldn't work. Apparently that wasn't fast enough. But eventually that very same method uh, worked, so I don't, I don't know what I did different. And uh, <laughs> all I found while looking up tips for it is people having the same complaints as me. So, yeah. Can't really recommend platting that game. But as you know me, that's the thing I do with games. Yeah, fuck that, dude. I don't know how you live that life. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. But, you know, hey, that's what you want to do. No fun, buddy. It depends. Do you. At, at that point, um, I had spent so much time that I was like, well, I'm going to get it to work. Like, fuck it. Right. I just like yeah that game is yeah yeah that game is very much a product of its time um, yeah it's dated a bit and kind of it kind of the ultimate culmination of what that generation of gaming was to honestly an unfortunate degree it feels like a PS3 game but it's a PS4 I mean, game it did come out in 2013 yeah early sure. PS4 then yeah very mm-hmm. early PS4 I think it got simul released on both consoles it did. Apparently, those versions are worse. Uh, the PS3 oh, yeah, and those versions, versions. Those versions are horseshit, dude. Yeah. I remember people. I, I worked at GameStop when that game came out, and I remember like Oof. people like trading it in and complaining that it ran like shit. Sick. On their old console. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, I dude. am worried about that happening to me uh, when Resident Evil Eight comes out. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have a PS5. Because, of course, I don't. Who the fuck does? So, I'm gonna be trying to play that on PS4. Hope it runs. <laughs> I don't know. Hope it runs. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Resident Evil, I also uh, I beat Resident Evil Zero. I beat Resident Evil 3, and uh, I assisted your brother, Josh, in Mm -hmm. beating Resident Evil 4. I didn't, I probably didn't have to help him, but, you know, I'm like, hey, I know where the treasure is, and tell him where the treasures are, because I know that shit. Uh, Having a lot of fun trying to play all the Resident Evil games before 8 comes out. Um, Except for Zero. Zero's not fun. That game sucks. Yeah. I remember a while ago, me and you both, like, I think it's like a year, more than a year ago at this point, the both of us, like, when it came to, I think it's when it came out on, like, PS4, I think me and you both picked it up and we tried to play it. It wasn't exactly, I think I was trying to play a bunch after 2 Remake came out, because I was was. in the mood for more Resident Evil after playing that game, and I was just playing any one I could get my hands on. Yeah, same. Yeah. And then, like, I think we both tried to play it at the same time, and we both hated it and stopped playing it. I beat it. I, I just didn't oh, you enjoy beat it? it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this time around, you know, uh, we're trying yeah, to beat it. all of them before 8 comes out. So I was like, well, this one counts. And, I played and... that game for... I played the game for all of, like, two and a half hours before I was like, I fucking hate this shit, and I turned it off. Yeah. Well, you know, like, I don't know. It's. I like the idea of it, but it like I feel like if you just if if that game got a remake and was turned into a co-op 
game with the Resident Evil Remake 2 control scheme, I think it could be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, the main problems with that game are no item box. You have the option to just dump things on the ground and hope you, you remember where they are. Uh, I mean, you can keep track of them from the map, but, like, I don't know. It just causes you to, like, dump a bunch of stuff on the ground and save rooms, and it sucks. Like, just make an item box, please. And it's just a frustrating mess to switch items and, you know... There's so many times in that game where I come across stuff that I cannot pick up. And I like playing Resident Evil games where I try to pick up everything. You know, you probably have to do a couple trips to the item box, but that's not that hard. And then you have stuff for later. Like, Mm -hmm. granted, you usually ain't going to use all your ammo and healing items by the end of a Resident Evil game of that style. But still, uh, it's really frustrating coming across, like, shotgun ammo and not having the space to pick it up shit like that um and also it's just kind of uncreative in terms of its enemies it's like what do we we haven't done zombie scorpion yet we haven't done zombie monkeys yet how about zombie giant bat (laughs) it's like games like going to the zoo man like what the fuck oh and leech guys too Fuck leech guys. <laughs> Fucking leech guys. Yeah, uh, that's probably my least favorite so far. Um, now, granted, we're still going to play good old Resident Evil 6, so uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to just do the mainline ones, but we may be trying to try to do all the side ones after. I doubt we, we're not, we don't have time to do it before 8 comes out. But, yeah, we're looking to try and play the bad ones. Just to see. We're morbidly curious. So, like, yeah. I don't know what Resident Evil Survivor is like. I don't know what... It's pretty bad, apparently. It's pretty bad, apparently. I don't know what Dead Aim is like. It's pretty bad, apparently. Um, Outbreak's supposed to be good. I'm curious to try that. Uh, maybe even you could play it, because we're going to have to um, get legally acquired uh, copies of that game and play on PC, you know. Yeah, and, I don't uh, Game preservation. Yeah, yeah, you know. Somebody got to do it. <laughs> Hell yeah. And, uh, you know... Other than that, I started watching Fargo. And Fargo fucking rules. Holy shit. Um, I finished the first season of Fargo, and I just started the second season. Um, If you don't know, Fargo is set up like anthology series seasons, you know, like American Horror Story where Mm -hmm. every season is a separate story. There are minor connections between everything, but for the most part, the only thing that's similar is, like, it's cold, and there's crime happening, 
<laughs> and that's like it. Uh, there's even connections to the movie a little bit, uh, very minor ones, but you know, there was a moment in the first season where there was a connection to the movie, and I was like, oh, holy shit, that's fucking crazy, dude. Um, I don't, I don't want to talk about plot points or anything, especially to you, because I would encourage you, if you have time at any point, watch Fargo season one. It's fucking incredible. Uh, I, I'm not sure if anybody won Emmys for that show, but they should have, because Martin Freeman's fucking amazing in that. Billy Bob Thornton's fucking amazing in that. And, um, I think it was the first thing she was ever in, but uh, this actress named Allison Tolman as basically the main character is great as well. And I'm really looking forward to checking out the other seasons of this show, seeing how different everything is. I, th- I think they just wrapped the fourth yeah, season. Yeah, I've heard great things Chris about it. I know I heard the it. first season's like yeah. really similar to the movie. This is also what I've heard. I disagree. Um, yeah? There are similar things, but the characters are very different. It's It's not the same kind of plot at all. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it's like a cop who is a woman is the main character, and she's trying to solve a crime. Other than that, I I don't think there's a whole lot of connection. Thematically, stylistically, yes, but actually not literally. Okay. It's interesting. I do want to give it a watch at some point. I've heard nothing but great things. Yeah, I, I really like when shows can do that because, like, the tension in a show where you know that the story is only ten episodes long is a lot different from the tension of knowing a show probably has multiple seasons to it. Because, like, let's say you're watching, like, The Sopranos. Uh, there's certain characters that you know probably will not die in season one because, well, there's six or seven seasons of The Sopranos. So it's not like they're going to kill Tony. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> there's no way. But when the storyline is only ten episodes long, I think the tension has been irreparably changed because, yeah, you don't really know who makes it to the end because it's it's kind of like more like structured like a really long movie in mm-hmm. that way and I love that about it I also love that it um it, it can just seemingly pick any celebrity out of anywhere and just plop them in and they work uh <laughs> Season one has who I mentioned, but it also has Bob Odenkirk. Uh, it has Glenn Howerton, Dennis from Always Sunny. It has Key and Peele, and uh, that shit's fucking crazy. And they all fit. They all fit right in. You wouldn't think they would, <laughs> but they do. <laughs> and I hope it continues to do that. It seems like it will. Like I'm watching season two. 
and Brad Garrett showed up. Brad and I was like, okay. <laughs> like, seems like anyone could just show up in these, these Fargo shows. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm gonna keep watching it. Oh yeah, dude. Let me, let me know how the later season got. There's there's a little bit of a little bit of contention about the later seasons. Yeah, I've I've heard that season four is the worst uh, of the four, but like it's probably still well acted. I'm gonna give it a shot. You know why not? Yeah, no, why not? And the cool thing with the re- uh, anthology show like that is like if I hate one of the seasons, I can just stop watching it. And then try the next season. I, I've definitely heard of people doing that with American Horror Story. It's mm-hmm. like, well, this season seems like it's going to suck. Maybe I'll try next year. <laughs> it's like, all right. Although I'm not a I'm not a fan of American Horror Story at all. Uh, not not I, I don't know. I haven't liked anything that I've seen <laughs> from American Horror Story. Not really. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> All right. My uh, my my mom used to love that show, and I'd watch it with her sometimes. And I'm like, oh, this is dreadful. <laughs> it's like the it's like bad B movie time, except it's a series. I mean, I sometimes I like that stuff, but like you know, I don't necessarily want the bad B movie I'm watching to last ten to thirteen episodes. It also, I feel like it has like one thing that like is great about a lot of B-movies, right? It's like... Either, like, they're so bad that they're funny and good, Mm -hmm. or that, like, they have, like, such a good amount of heart to them that it makes them likable. Yeah, or it's actually I don't think American Horror Story has... Yeah, yeah, I don't think American Horror Story has any of that. Right. At all. So... Seems seems like it tries too hard to be edgy. Uh... I saw parts of that one episode where, like, uh, Quicksilver shoots a bunch of kids. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but That's a thing. That happens. Uh, like, uh, yeah, and I was just like, I think they think that they're touching upon a, you know, like, subject with a lot of power behind it, I suppose. But, like, it just felt, mm-hmm. like, it just felt really edgy. It felt like a like Mark Miller comic tier edgy. If you don't get that, good. Don't read his stuff. (laughs) (sighs) You know what? I'm just going to have this as an aside because I want to talk about it with you real quick. Okay. You've read read Mark Miller stuff, right? Oh, yeah, plenty. Are you familiar with uh, The Order? Probably not. No. Um, I think this has a Netflix show now. I'm not entirely certain, but this is a comic good old Mark Miller wrote. And uh, it has quite possibly the worst single page of a comic I have ever seen in it. And that is because what's described as happening is the single most cringy, terrible thing, just dumb idea... I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the the order is about magicians, okay? So it's this page of this uh, the female lead, I suppose, describing her first escape attempt, and she says straight up 
that her first escape was her own abortion. And they describe her being aborted as a baby. Huh. But like she like goes back in the womb. Oh, oh, oh. that's nice. Yeah. That's real nice. She like some good family friendly content. She right nopes there, you know I mean? out of her own abortion. Yeah, I don't know if that's in the show that they made. I hope not. Uh, it, it sucks. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, God. So I'm sure you felt the same effect as I have, like reading anything by Mark Miller as you get. Older. I mean, I used to really like it, but like, I think the I think the breaking point for me was Kickass Two. Where there's the scene yeah. where the villain just shoots a bunch of kids and then rapes a woman because he's like, I'm being a villain. And I, I just was like, this is disgusting, dude. You're not saying anything. It's not funny. It's not... It's not even menacing. Like, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's lazy, like yeah. written by a edgy seventeen-year-old kind of tier. Right. It is the most like it's that edgy for like edginess sake. Yeah. Type shit and like, god damn, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> edgy and I, I just you go ahead. I did just just like realizing that is like, you know, I get older. Right. Like I used to, they used to, I was an edgy kid myself growing up and everything, right? And then like I used to love his work because of that. But then like I don't know, as as you get older, man, it's just like you start to think about like what the point of all of it is. Yeah, man. And the thing about Mark Miller's writing is there is no fucking point. No, not at there all. There isn't one. He's literally like just shock value type shit. Mm-hmm. It's so dumb. If you ever want to question everything. Like whether comics are even good, uh, <laughs> uh, read the unfunnies. Don't do that. Don't read the unfunnies. I do not recommend that you read the unfunnies. It is the worst thing, possibly ever written, comic or otherwise. It's at least mm-hmm. bottom ten of anything I've ever looked at. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll tell you straight up. Don't even look into it. I'm not, I'm not talking about it further. I don't even know why I brought it up. Probably shouldn't have. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. I used to like the Ultimates. And then I look back and I'm like, ah, I don't know. And it, once again, it just like, it serves no purpose of storytelling. It's not. Does any man have to rape his wife? you anything. No. And, and beat her a bunch. There's no context. Right. There's, there's no context in which that makes it fine. It's not like. It's it's not you could do like much smarter things to make the character mm-hmm. look bad, and it's just like he just thinks of the most sick and twisted shit just because it has no real emotional impact. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. serve to prove any kind of plot forward whatsoever. It's empty. He's another person. Mark Miller's writing is empty. Right. It's meaningless, and like that might seem really fucking harsh, but like. Most of his writing to me now just, like, literally seems meaningless. It's stupid, and and I hate it. I do think... I think he's he's a bad writer. Old Man Logan is fun. But... 
you know, someone looked at that concept and said, I see what you're trying to do here, but what if I took out, like, the stuff about the Hulk fucking his cousin and having a bunch of inbred Hulk children? And, and then, like, just took out, like, some of this other edgy stuff, and then, like, we got Logan out of it. Right, which is better than Old Man Logan. Yeah. <laughs> By a mile. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I agree. Logan's fucking great. Have you ever seen a black and white cut of that movie? No. That's probably really cool. It's really cool. My dad got the, uh, like, the special edition Blu-ray or whatever that had that cut in it, and I watched it. It fucking cool, now man. that movie probably works in black and white. Uh, I don't know about the Snyder Cut, man. Well, yeah. Well, there's a lot of like influences of like westerns. Yeah. Yeah. And like Kurosawa in in Logan. Right. So that's why I'm saying that probably works for that. Yeah. So the black and white serves it quite well, actually. I liked it a lot. I think, like, it's probably still not the best. The best way to watch a movie probably is still in color, but it was a neat little thing. That was neat. Speaking of neat things, are you ready to springboard forward? Hey, are you there, fam? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, well, it disconnected for me for a minute. Oh, okay. Now we're good. Were you talking the whole time? Yep. Okay, then we'll just leave it. Oh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I springboarded off into it. I was like, speaking of good movies. Oh, okay. Let's just talk about Spirited Away. <laughs> Fuck all this shit. I'm done talking about Mr. Millar. Yeah, I'm good. Fuck him. Oh, my, 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 my end cap to that was just going to be he's another in a long line of people who read Watchmen. And instead of going, this is really good because it views superheroes as psychologically complex characters. It it uh it, it took the this is really good because there's lots of blood and murder yeah. and dicks in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's the wrong lesson to take. I'm just saying. No, that's exactly that. That's exactly not what Watchmen was trying to be. Yeah. So many people take that the wrong way. But yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on. As I open my fridge and get out a drink. <laughs> you do that, fam. All right. I'm gonna introduce this movie. Spirited Away, Hayao Miyazaki's eighth film, released in 2001 in Japan. Um, so, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that all of Miyazaki's films are considered classics to some degree. But this one in particular is frequently hailed as one of the best animated films ever created, anime or otherwise. And... Uh, I think it earns that reputation pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, this is a baseline. I think this is um, one of the smartest and like most fascinatingly weird animated films. Yeah, its world and, like, is it, extremely bizarre, but also like really well developed throughout the course of the movie. Right, uh, I, I think it's really, really cool. The, the, the movie does a great job of like slowly introducing you to like bizarre concepts. Yeah. By the time you get into like the latter action of the movie with like no face and stuff, like mm-hmm. it seems believable to you. This completely wild, outrageous shit. It doesn't phase you anymore, which I think is like a really, really 
cool way of storytelling. Yeah, by the time you get to that to that last half hour, you're like, oh, okay, so this is happening now, as opposed to like, what the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck is that? The right. fuck? <laughs> Which is like what by the, the first you, half hour is. By the time you get to the point where you're introduced by a lamp that's hopping on one leg, um, it doesn't face you at all. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I didn't even yeah. view that as that weird at that point. You're right. right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's kind of an interesting thing it does, because um, I'm like, yeah. Uh, so, like, on a base level, this movie is a, a pretty simple plot, like most Miyazaki movies. Little girl, her parents get, you know, they, they get lost. I guess they cross over to a weird spirit realm, I suppose. It's not completely explained 100%. And, and hell, I, I guess you could even make the argument that, like, maybe it didn't even happen and it's all just a dream or whatever. Because it's kind of just like, you know, the story comes to an end without any, like, huge problems or detriments, you know? It's kind of like got that, like, Wizard of Oz effect, you know? Like, it's not, like, literally coming out of a dream, but it's like, you know, the, the main girl goes to a weird place and has some adventures... And then leaves the weird place behind and goes back to the real world as if nothing ever happened, right? But I guess like right, character did, development. Whether it was a lesson yeah. she learned along the way, sure. Right? Sure. Or maybe even less like I mean I don't know. Like, I guess like either Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz are good comparisons, I think, to this kind of story yeah, structure. I would say. Right, it's very similar. Yeah. So she. That's um, totally what they were going for. There's a lot of influence. There's a lot of Alice in Wonderland influence in this uh, movie. Yeah. Like a ton. You know what? Also, in the fact that it's really fucking weird, I'd say it's got Lewis Carroll influence for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, you've you've read Alice in Wonderland, right? No, but I know. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. There's there's I, I think there's quite a lot, um, which is really cool. Because I, I don't think um, – not even like any Alice in Wonderland movie we've gotten has like played that type of aesthetic, I think, as well as Spirited Away has. It's true. Which I think is I funny. mean, I really love that Disney original, I got to say. That's really creative. Um, fuck the Tim Burton ones, though. Oh, I agree. If you have a Tim Burton <laughs> one, fucking trash. I mean, there's a lot of creative stuff in those Disney originals. Cheshire Cat. Yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. Mad Hatter. Right. Red Queen, all that, all that weird shit, and 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 you know, I guess there's another similarity because there's like a evil, like, I guess evil, less evil in the Miyazaki version, uh, kind of like leader to the society. Right. Um, well, that that that's a, just a Miyazaki tr- like special, right? Yeah, usually he loves. Usually the bad guys are not like full chaotic evil. You know what I mean? Right. Like, he likes nuance. Yeah. Nuance is important to Except him. Except for Mark Hamill in Castle in the Sky. That guy's just a prick. Um, yeah, that guy is just pure yeah. evil. It's like pretty much the only time he's done that. Yeah, I think it's the only bad guy I could think of in any of his movies that is mm-hmm. like, you know, like, fuck, we watched Porco, and the bad guy in Porco isn't even a bad guy. He's just like No, he's just a, just kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> he's like full just kind of, of a, He's just kind of a pompous. Yeah, yeah like, just a pompous dick. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, they, like, hang out at the end, basically. Like, I don't know. Uh-huh. And then, like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we still keep in contact. Like, the, the fucking girl says at the end. It's like, okay. And after they, like, spend, like, 20 minutes beating the shit out of each other in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, and then they're just like, well, all right, so long, Porco. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, like, um, 
in this, uh, our main character is trying to save her parents, who have been turned into pigs uh, because they ate a bunch of food. Um, and, you know, she's a human in a non-human society, so in order to, like, I, I guess blend in and survive, she gets a job at this bathhouse with a lot of weirdos in it. A lot of interesting characters. And... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she just goes on a lot of adventures, meets a lot of weirdos, until eventually she is able to get out of that situation and leave with her parents and go back to her normal life. However, I mean, Miyazaki's, you know, really good. You know, there's, like, no point at any point in the story where you're, like, fearful that, like, she will not escape this place and that her parents will remain pigs and all that kind of shit. You know, it's it's, it's no, a, a kid's lot more... movie in, in a sense, you know. I think it's a little more fucked up than some kids would maybe even be able to handle in some degrees, but, like... Uh, Especially the, the later the later part of, like, Haku being all messed up and shit is kind of like... Yeah, he bleeding everywhere. Um... Yeah, there's, there's blood in that part. There's right? also blood, the part, part with the fucking uh, poop demon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that like it creeped me out. Uh, I love that part. I love that part so much. This this big like shit heap demon that's just a big slime monster, and they're just mean to our our main character and make her do the the cleaning, but she does it. Yeah, they're like, and, um, right. Yeah, like they they like make Chihiro like do it as like a prank or whatever. They're like, like let's make her deal with the big goop monster, haha, yeah. <laughs> daughter. But and then like she fixes it. Yeah, like she finds the way to fix it, and and then like it it like disintegrates into like a floating bearded creepy skull that says "Well done" and then disappears. And mm-hmm. that was like incredibly creepy. <laughs> And unsettling. It gives her a little moss ball, you know, as as a treat. Yeah, I think that part is, uh, you know, your 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 Miyazaki environmental message of the film, uh, just in that self-contained part. Like, it's not like you know the whole movie isn't about it, like Princess Mononoke kind of is. But that part, you know, I, I interpret it as he is that that monster is a kind of like pollution metaphor. And, like, maybe, like, the spirit inside of it is, like, a victim of the pollution. Because, like, the spirit, as we learn throughout the course of this movie, don't necessarily... Like, spirits aren't necessarily people all the time. They can also be, like, places and locations. Damn. What what uh, Gen was saying is that... You know... This is a um, victim of... uh, Haku is a river. Of the the environmental consequences of humanity (laughs) advancing. Uh, until the like end. with all the trash and Spoilers. the bikes and stuff that are coming yeah. out of it, um, that Which, just kind uh, of pull yeah, out of it and it turns into that pure spirit being. Um, which I think is like a really interesting and neat message. So, um, I, what, I are, what are so. some of your favorite parts cool. about this movie, Justin? Now we anticipate the return of Gen. Gen is Justin, dead. are you there? I'm going to make a mark of when this happened. Discord, what's going on? Am I still here? Are you still here? There you are. I've been here the whole time. 
Well, were you able to hear me? No. I thought you were okay, gone. Okay, so yeah, we did we did lose you. Um, yeah, I think it was your Discord crapping out. Well, you know, I don't know. Should I restart Discord like, on, real quick? If you want to, I made a time signature of where I was going to cut this. So if you want to take a quick second and restart your Discord. Give me 10 seconds. I'm going to restart my Discord in case it's on my end. Okay. It definitely wasn't on mine because, I, I like I always do, I have the movie playing on mute at the same time. And that didn't stop at all or anything. So... I don't know. It's going real slow, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay. I hear you. Okay. So, um, I don't know. I was just going to say, like, uh, what are some of your favorite bits in this movie, man? All right. Well, besides the uh, the part with the spirit, which I think is, like, as far as, like, the, like, quote-unquote action sequences go in this film, that's probably my favorite. Um, yeah, it's really good. I absolutely adore the... Uh, like towards the end of the movie, when uh, when when they go and visit Zaniba, Yubaba's twin sister, um, she appears in the film at one point. Kind of feels like an antagonist at one point. Oh uh, yeah. Um, because she like she fucks up a bunch of Yubaba shit, and then like tries to kill Haku. Well, she thinks he's she a bad guy. Him, like, you know, we don't know all the mm-hmm. information about that. Right. I like that character a lot. She's great. Like so, like call me grandma. There's a there's a lot of build up to like her getting ready to go there, and like they're saying like, oh, it's very dangerous. You're not gonna be able to come back easily. She kind of it's a one way trip. She kind of comes back pretty easily. <laughs> Goes back really easily, but that's beside the point. Um, well, I think all these characters that are telling she, her this have been fed a lot of maybe even lies about this character because she's by Yubaba, yeah, yeah, the the bad sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they arrive at Zaniba's place, and then like she's just like this super nice grandma character. Yeah. At this point, she's got the whole troop with her. She's got she's got Yubaba's baby who was turned into a rodent. Mm-hmm. And then her like weird crow thing that was turned into a tiny mm-hmm. bird. Yeah, as as with her, as along you do. with no face. Yeah, along with no face, who just got done like eating like eating and then spinning back up like three. Yeah, people. his arc is a tad confusing to me. <laughs> so I'll talk about that in a bit. I think I think it has to do with like Chihiro's like just talk about like pure heartedness or whatever. She's that, she's like, willing to forgive even even him. Yeah. Right. I guess I don't know. It's a little bit like Undertale. Got him. Hug yeah. the goat. Even even right. though he's a genocidal maniac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, uh, yeah. But no, I love that part. It's like, and it's funny because like it's like you're. It's like the calm before the ending climax, which is also like kind of underplayed which i actually kind of enjoy yeah it kind of like there's a lot of build i remember up. looking at there's um, a lot of build up to all this when she was getting on the train with no face i remember looking at how much time was left because i had to go to the bathroom real quick and i was like there's mm-hmm. not enough time left i like how the fuck did they go on this big journey and then like go back 
and then finish the rest of the movie. But now that it happens, it's fine. Yeah, that's because that's because they go and enter the realm of uh, you know, chill hip hop beats to sew and relax to. <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> mm. And then she recruits no face as a like a sewing part, like a like assistant at her house and everything. I think it's really a really cute, like just nice little part to this like. Movie that's quite honestly mostly chaotic. <laughs> yeah, a lot of trauma happens to this ten-year-old fucking girl. Um, like yeah. her parents turn into pigs, and then she, you know, is gets swallowed by the capitalist system. Just basically shoved into indentured <sighs> servitude. Uh, yeah, and has to, you know, not die as well because a lot of stuff tries to attack her, including a giant creepy baby. Uh, which I am I am not a fan of that baby. That baby creeps me the fuck out. Baby's terrifying. Baby's dude. terrifying. <laughs> Apparently, baby friend by the end of the movie, but like, baby still creep baby's me out. Baby's friend by baby the end still of the movie. Creep me out. Let me tell you, baby needed to get humbled and leave, and and not be babied anymore. No pun intended, or pun intended. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> but um, still. Baby creeps me out. Uh, the bad guy creeps me out as well. Uh, the design <laughs> of fucking which one is which? Obaba, right? Ubaba, Ubaba is, is yeah. It's, okay, yeah. Ubaba's the 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 mean it's one. It's a very creepy Zaniba's design because nice like it's 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 kind of like if you took the standard old woman design that Miyazaki has reused throughout several movies, but just decided to design them like with the same proportions as Jimmy Neutron where like it's a tiny body but a giant fucking head you know what I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. super disturbing looking one thing I'd like talking about like the uh, the conditioning that this movie basically does to you yeah. as you're watching it um, <clears throat> they use like a lot of like close angles to like her like her skin and everything and like like close up is like the close up is like she's flying at at Shihiro mm-hmm. um like during the scene where she's first introduced they do a lot of things to make her seem like massively creepy yeah during those first parts and and then like her design doesn't change no but she becomes completely normal to you as the movie goes on, which I find also to be incredibly fascinating. Yeah, because as the movie goes on, she feels less like a tyrannical leader that is the villain of the film, and more like just just a shitty boss. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it, it's right. like you know this is a very fantastical insane unrealistic location however at the end of the day it's a business being ran that like you know if the character design wasn't insane would be a realistic business that exists right and like a lot of the people's concerns and wants and desires are also relatable in that human sense even though yeah, most of the cast is far from human. Right, um, relatability is a big thing. Um, 
I recently watched like a short documentary about uh, about Studio Ghibli's work. Oh, cool. Um, which was really cool. Was um, it like the House of Madness or whatever it's called? I, I've, I've been yeah. seeing this uh, cited a lot, looking up notes and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like the, this, the camera crew got to spend like a long time like filming Studio Ghibli working and stuff like right, that. Okay. And like <clears throat> one thing that Miyazaki stresses super hard when making his films is like making sure that people animate like people doing things in like moving and acting in a way that people would um so much so that there's like this really funny scene in the documentary where like he's critiquing an artist uh who like made an animation of somebody sitting down at a desk yeah and he's like all right sit down at this desk and he sits down at the desk and he's like and then he like he shows the clip and he's like now sit down how you drew this guy to sit down and then like he couldn't do it and right that was, like, right really funny to me it's like little things like that you don't really like think too much about like probably as an animator like that he like brought out in his staff um and like if you watch it especially like when i'm going through these movies with you as we're doing these episodes i like to play the movie on on mute right next to me just to give me like more visual understanding of like what's going on while i'm doing it you know i would like to be able to do that but apparently my internet is trying to fucking cuck me at every turn so right i also have two monitors so i can have like my recording and i'm watching my recording up on one side and i have the movie up on the other i'm gonna choose not to upset the discord monitor chad i wouldn't by Um, playing a streaming service (laughs) as you see these movies like you you because there's no audio like you kind of pay more attention to the visuals um and i think it's like it's really cool because like everything does move like really fluidly and human like and like especially at the time like that was so fucking hard to do right Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of work and uh it's something that i think a lot of people take for granted um but like it it helps like add that like sort of relatability to these films it makes you it makes you like realize the world better yeah and i think like something as fantastical as this film is putting a person in that kind of situation um in this bizarro world yeah i think really helps it come to life and make it more believable for you (laughs) right yeah it makes it more like believable for you mm-hmm. it makes it makes the pill easier to swallow and i think that's part of why this movie got so much mainstream success yeah it, it does the impossible in that it you know it, it presents you with a ludicrous concept that should be stupid and, and in the hands of a lesser filmmaker would probably not work but it's it's approached with such a level of tact and like discipline in in conveying what it wants to convey that everything works and it's mm-hmm. it's super uh satisfying to watch yeah and when you get to the, like the fucking scenes like when no face is blown up to a gigantic terrifying blob yeah, that stuff skews me out mate <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh, disgusting. Um, especially after she gives him the nice little treat she got from that spirit. Yeah. And uh, just watching him like puke up sludge. So I have seen you know still images from this movie over the years before mm-hmm. I had seen it, and one of the most common ones is her 
sitting on the train with No Face. So I had seen No Face before. I had seen the image right. of No Face before. He's he's besides Chihiro slash Sen. He's probably the character you see the most of in fan art and everything else, you know? So Yeah. I was like, is he friend? At the beginning of the movie? And then I was like, okay, I guess he's friend. And and then I was like, oh oh no, he's he's not friend. <laughs> but no. then He's, he's friend. friend. So it, it takes you on a roller coaster of, of shit with that character. Uh, so once again, the, 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 like... Which Miyazaki likes to do. Yeah. Weird ass. Yeah, weird ass, like, Miyazaki, like, nuance. Yeah. Um, which, like, like I, I like, it, especially with, like, the modern American cinema most of the time, I find it to be really refreshing. Um, yeah. Because... Like you, you, you're talking about like properties like Star Wars and everything like that, right? Some of the biggest properties in the U.S. Sure. It is so boringly clear cut, good versus evil type beat. Um, and a lot yeah. of movies handle on that because it's easier to write. Honestly, let's be honest here; it's easier to write. And yeah, if, for sure, sure. I don't think and, there's uh, anything wrong with it, though, if that's what you're saying. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I think I, I have to find it refreshing because it's it's not something you typically see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think you know, and especially with like multiple characters. Like sometimes you'll have like you know, that that one guy, your Han Solo or whatever, who like is the anti-hero, but like <clears throat> not like all of the fucking characters. Well, I mean, you know what because I mean? of stuff like that, because of characters like Han Solo, even that can have its own stereotypes and tropes, you know? Right. So it gets to right. that point. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's refreshing. Just like to have like characters who are characters. Um, I mean, Hey, I don't think there's anything wrong with a good, good versus evil story. I mean, fuck before this, we were watching the Lord either. of the Rings, which is some Just of like, the best films ever made. And it's storyline yeah. is about as basic good and evil as it gets. Like, yeah, the, the, you know, the fucking Sauron's not a well-defined character with like emotions nope. or anything. It's just like it, it, it presents it in a more of an epic sense where it's like it's literal Satan or literal evil. You know, I think that's a fun way to do it, which we can maybe talk about when you finally watch Snyder Cut, by the way, a little bit. Not Steppenwolf, but mm-hmm. the guy behind the scenes a little bit. Um, but anywho. Uh, that doesn't really have anything to do with this at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Although no. I'm sure I will find a way to talk about Zack Snyder again, just because I find it mm-hmm. funny. Anyway. Um, yeah, what about you again? Um, are there like any little little moments or something that I missed that you thought were great? I mean, I, like, I, I doubt you missed great, them because but... they're all good. Um, I love everything involving <sighs> uh, Kamaji and the little soot guys. In the, yeah. in the, uh, the yeah. boiler or whatever. That shit is mm-hmm. great. I love that shit. Uh, and that character is great, too. I like him. Because at first he seems, like, rude and obsessed with his work. And he doesn't want to talk to her. But then eventually, by the end of the movie, he's, like, celebrating when she succeeds. And outsmarts... Uh... Obaba. Or Ubaba. Ubaba. I, I keep saying Obaba, and I don't know why. It's, yeah, it's Ubaba. Ubaba. Was Obaba a character in something else? Maybe I'm crazy. Probably, I don't remember. Yeah. 
I don't remember what the name of the You're usually bad. pirate lady in Castle in the Sky was, because it was something that was something like that. I don't know, anyway. This movie kind of like Princess Mononoke. Like, I've seen it so many times that I remember all the characters right. and everything. And I also really liked the vibes of their little trip on the train. I just thought that that was all, mm-hmm. like, so well done. Um, like, there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of dialogue or a whole lot of plot happening in those scenes, but, like, they're just so, you know, you just get drawn in by the, the like, Ghibli magic, you know? Just, like, the right. great it's, environments it's, it's, and great artwork. It's part of the brilliance of how well this movie's paced, mm-hmm. right? Because movies are pretty brisk two hours. Like, Yeah, it flew by, dude. Right. It's it was a pretty brisk two hours, and uh, a lot of that is because of the pacing, but, like, this movie does a really good job at its slow moments. Yeah. Um, because especially, like, especially, like, right when they get on the train, right, you just got through an absolutely chaotic sequence with no face, like, charging after, after Jahira, well, yeah, right? and then also there's, like, you know, the fucking paper things attacking Haku, and then the fucking mm-hmm. creepy baby, like, all that happens one after the other, and it's a fucking chaotic sequence. Right. Probably one of my favorite sequences of the whole movie, just because it's so chaotic that it leaves you guessing what will even happen next. But, um, yeah. You go from that to, like, just vibes on a train. <laughs> like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Great. Yeah, I, I love that so much. It it it's comfy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's a good. Uh, and it looks damn good for something that's hand drawn, dude. Like holy it's shit. A weird movie to describe as comfy because a lot of it's not. But like I no, watch it whenever, but, just to chill. To be honest. Yeah, it has such great back and forth in that, mm, right? Yeah. Where it has those sequences that are super comfy, like this one, or where where she's like chilling, chilling on the balcony with Lynn eating a, eating a dumpling, you know, mm. stuff like that. It's cool. Love that stuff, um, and it, it helps break up the action really, really well. That lets you chill out, lets the movie chill out, let it breathe a little bit. Yeah. You know, from that point on, basically the the rest of the movie just kind of breathes. Right. Which is good because you just got out of a sequence that was so chaotic. Very, very true. Um, hey, Jusby. That like, get a long breath. What's up? All right. Um, before I get to the notes and stuff, I gotta pee really fucking bad. So if you just want to talk to the fam <laughs> there, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I'll, um, I will be back in I'll like ta- I'll one talk minute. I'll I was, talk to I was hoping things, I could you know? hold it, but this ain't happening. I'll be back. Everybody. Almost at the finish line, but yeah, get it, get your shit, get your shit. All right, done. thank you. I'll be back. So yeah, I'm, I'm, as soon as we're done recording here, I'm gonna be playing Monster Hunter Rise. I know this is off topic from Stuart Away, but hear me out. And for people who play Monster Hunter, you probably have seen some stuff about this game already, and maybe even played the demo that came out yourself. And uh. I find a lot of the new mechanics very fascinating, and I'm excited to give it a shot. I'm anticipating it. I've got that sucker pre-downloaded on my Switch. I'm ready to have at it. Um, that's great. But back to Spirit Away, though. One thing that we didn't mention before, we're probably going to get into all like the accolades that millions of accolades that this movie has. Um, one interesting character thing I had, I, I find like like about Yubaba, you know, we talk about all the time how Miyazaki's characters are really balanced and stuff. Um, she, uh, the point in the movie after uh, Chihiro leaves on her journey and she has you know Yubaba's baby with her and it's the replacement babies right there with her, 
she's so absorbed in her work that she has no idea that her baby's been missing. And it kind of is like a representative theme um, about like how being too absorbed in your work can make you miss the things that are close to you. Um, even like, for example, when like Haku breaks up to her, that she's like, so that she had right in front of her face is false. That's very important to her. And if the first thing she goes for is the gold, she doesn't even consider that her child has been taken, which I think is like really fascinating. Little little character moment. Maybe a, little, maybe a moment of growth for her by the end of the film where she, you know, pays a little more attention to her child and listens to him when he speaks, which I think is really cool. Also really funny, I think, that uh, oh, no faces gold was false that they all got from him. Okay, I'm here. The no face as a whole is sort of like an emblematic thing of like, you know, people's great consuming them or whatever told very shortly, which uh, really similar to talk about the Alice in Wonderland. It has a bunch of those small themes about like human adversity and stuff like that. Which I think is really Are cool. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. I was just uh, I was just talking to the kids about uh, the character moment oh, okay. of Baba, her forgetting about her uh, for her forgetting about her kid being there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's oof, oof. So it was over in her work. She didn't realize her child was missing. Yeah, well, she didn't recognize it as the mouse either. That's a good little moment. The mouse looks so sad because mm-hmm. the mouse is the baby. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, sorry about that. Now you're good, fam. It really had to be done. I was going to be struggling. All right, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get on the, we getting on to the accolades section here. Uh, nah, it was more like a making of, I suppose, for now. Um, oh, okay. So cool, cool. The film came about as a result of uh, Miyazaki attempting to make a story that would resonate specifically with ten-year-old girls. Well, more specifically, a story that would resonate with his friend Saiji Okuda's ten-year-old daughter, whom Miyazaki based the character of Chihiro slash Sen on. So he started to read shoujo manga <laughs> for inspiration, but found that they were not really about a subject he wanted to explore. So instead of making a story about young romantic crushes, uh, Miyazaki instead decided to focus on making the main character someone who young girls could look up to and identify with. As Miyazaki himself puts it, quote, I created a heroine who is an ordinary girl, someone with whom the audience can sympathize. It's not a story in which the characters grow up, but a story in which they draw on something already inside them, brought out by the particular circumstances. I want my young friends to live like that, and I think they, too, have such a wish. End quote. So... That's really cool. Miyazaki... Because a lot of time you do see in, like... It's a quick, quick adding to that real yeah. quick. You do, uh, you do often see, like... A lot of media that like is pandered towards like younger girls, especially mm-hmm. have like this very particular theme. Yeah, which is like romance and stuff. And like, I, I do, I do enjoy that he had that perspective. I think that's. Really I think cool. he did a good job of making this character feel like a young kid too, because sometimes yeah, that she's incredibly work, human, depending on who's making it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this is a very different thing, but I, I was just talking about. 
I think you were there, actually, in a Discord call. I was talking about Life is Strange and, and how yeah. the dialogue in that game kind of has that, you know, <laughs> that Steve Buscemi with the backwards hat and the skateboard walking up. How do you do, fellow kids? Kind of energy, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so Miyazaki's obviously an incredibly old man now, but, like, I don't know. Somehow he is able to make this character seem like it's it's a it's a ten year old and it works. Um well he's he's got some also great people on his staff, but on top of that, like um I suppose basing it on referencing that documentary helps too, yeah. Yeah. Like referencing that documentary that I watched. Like he spends a lot of time just like soaking in the the environment and people around him and using that as like inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a good thing for an artist to do. Mm. You know, injecting that that amount of like not just your own lived experiences, but your observations of others' lived experiences. Injecting realism into a story that is anything but realistic goes a long way in making it convincing for the audience, for sure. That's the big magic trick of this whole movie. And mm-hmm. uh they succeeded real well. <laughs> so, Miyazaki also had been imagining stories about a bathhouse since he was young. He remembered feeling the bathhouse in his hometown was mysterious. There was a small door leading to an unknown place in one of the bathroom, like the bathtub areas, and it ignited his imagination. And eventually, over the years, that led to Spirited Away. Just young, young child Miyazaki wondering what the fuck is in that door. And letting his imagination run wild. Uh, Some of the buildings in the spirit world setting are modeled after or inspired by real-life buildings, such as the Edo Tokyo Open Air Architectural Museum and the Notoya Ryokan, which is a traditional Japanese inn. Uh, I think this helps bring forward, like, a sense of nostalgia for like the past of Japan which I think works for this because it's supposed to be a spirit world implying that it's right. the souls of the dead so it feeling like it's old school Japan uh, makes a lot of sense for that and also like even just like the concept of the bathhouse in general is you know at least to my knowledge, kind of old hat a little bit. I'm, I know they still yeah. exist in Japan, of course, but they feel like a, a holdover from, like, an older time, you know, maybe before people had, you know, baths in their house, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was very interesting, right? Um, but yeah, it, it definitely helps. It helps give it like that, like older time, unique sort of style. Um, as far as like Sneepa's home and stuff like that, you have that old like hay cottage and stuff yeah. like that. I think it's really cool. The architecture as a whole in this movie is really fucking cool. That's that's always one of the key best things about. Ghibli in in general, but 
Miyazaki films. Yeah. So there was some difficulties in the production. This included uh, the implementation of 3D CGI animation and balancing it with the traditional 2D animation. This all, yeah, you could tell this like, also the scenes took place that they're in, in it. Okay, as well, but I didn't really bring mm-hmm. it up that much because they didn't use it that much. But in this, there's yeah, there's quite, quite a few, few scenes, yeah. especially like 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 I was saying before during during the train scene. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of moments, and how well it blends with the with the 2D art is like really really monumental. Yeah, you basically like, can well almost done. not tell that there's any CG animation in this. Um. I wish stuff like this happened more often, the blending of the two. Um, I mean, and maybe we'll get to see some stuff like that. You know, there's stuff like, you know, just like off the top of my head, like something like Spider-Verse, which is completely CGI 3D animated, but it has the style of a 2D thing, of a comic book styling. And mm-hmm. I find that so much more creative and fun to look at than just, you know, your typical DreamWorks CGI despicable me <laughs> kind of kind of thing. Uh, not that that doesn't have an art style. That's not what I'm trying to say, I guess. But you know, I, I think having a style and approaching 3D animation differently could prove to be really key in the future. At least I hope people experiment. Uh, There was also several cuts to the story's plot being necessary to fit the film into a suitable runtime. Apparently, the original cut, I don't know if it was ever animated, but the original plot would have been three hours long. And uh, they had to make a lot of significant cuts. And I want to know what's in that shit. So I have a proposal for for you, Justin. Maybe we can get this trending on Twitter. Uh, You know, uh, I want them to restore Zack Snyder's original vision of Spirited Away. (laughs) I want... Zack Snyder's Spirited Away. You know, before he was thrown off the production and replaced with Joss Whedon on Spirited Away. Uh, This metaphor doesn't track very well. This bit doesn't work very well. But I did want to say the statement, Zack Snyder's Spirited Away, because it sounds really funny. It sounds really funny. It sounds awful. Maybe he'll be the man brave enough to give us the live-action remake of Spirited Away. Please, please, God, Shusby, no. I am scared because uh, we're about to talk about Disney here. And Disney has been, uh, has, has been in this phase where they take their animated films and they go, yeah, what if it was live-action, though? And they make garbage. And eventually they will run out of 90s Disney's films. And maybe eventually they'll even run out of the older, while Walt Disney was still alive, Disney films. Animated classics. So, 
when do they take a look at Studio Ghibli and try to do something stupid? Do they have – I don't think they have, like, creative ownership over the property, though. Don't they have just ownership over the dubs? Yes. However, in recent years, we've seen Disney own a lot of things that they didn't own before. You think they try to buy Ghibli? Not while Miyazaki's alive. But the man's not going to live forever. He's very old. Uh, his next movie is going to be his last movie, officially. I don't know what his son will do. If if Disney came up to Miyazaki right now, he would probably say no to their billions. But his, his no, 100%. son... He doesn't need their billions. Who just made uh, whatever the fuck that movie is that doesn't look very good. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know what he'd do. Uh... We might be in for some for some pure garbage in the future. Uh, I hope that I hope and pray that I never have to see a day come where somebody tries to make a, like a, a live action Spirited Away. I pray to any god who will listen, <laughs> any devil who will listen. I, I don't know. Kill Disney if you have to. It's fine. You can do it. I'm worried that it's even a possibility in the back of my brain. You know? Yeah. I don't even want to imagine a Me world either. in which that fucking happens. No. No thanks. I'm good, dude. Absolutely not. You know, it's it's a scary thought to imagine Zack Snyder's spirited away, but you know what scares me more? Tim Burton's spirited away. Listen, either one would just completely remove all humanity from the film, which is what makes the film good. Oh my god. Zack Snyder isn't good at writing humans. No. And Disney has been completely stripped of all humanity. And, and Tim, so Burton, I want Tim Burton hasn't been good also, since like 1998, so yeah. Tim Burton has always been a style of stuff since that type year director. Out of anyway. I don't even know if anything came out in 98. I think the last, I think the last Burton movie I liked was Big Fish. I think that was in the 2000s, yeah. but he already crossed the line Listen. of making like bad shit, like Planet of the Apes. So I don't know. Sleepy Hollow. Listen, <laughs> uh, man, Tim Burton ran so Zack Snyder could briskly walk into dumb bro, shit. I haven't <laughs> thought about this like this until you just brought it up, but like, nah, this makes sense. This makes sense a bit. Maybe it doesn't. They, I don't they know. both. <laughs> Whatever. Fuck it. I mean, like his Burton's uh, later career, I think it does. Where like, I find Snyder to be a very much a style over substance type director, and that is exactly what yeah, Burton style, became. Their style becomes all that they have. Yeah, I can see that. Like Snyder, Snyder can make shit look good, but like. Mm-hmm. One of the problem I have, one of the problems I have, especially with the superhero movies, it's despite them like always devolving into bombastic garbage at their climaxes, like they feel like they feel inhumane. You know what I mean? 
Like, there is no, like, there's barely any character, man. Everything's so, like, one-dimensional, flat. Like, literally, like, Snyder's vision of, like, the DC superheroes are them as, like, fucking gods amongst mere mortals. And then, but then, like, that's all he focuses on? So the mere mortals in that world just feel like fucking unrealistic pawns. Serve their that's plot. very true. That's a good observation. Don't feel like people. But uh, there's a little more humanity in Justice League. Um, for sure. But not not as much as the Whedon version, or as the Whedon version tries to do. But anyway, fuck all that shit. We're talking about Spirit of the Way. Lol. Yeah. So, How about good stuff, 10% please? of the film's budget is provided by Speak of the Devil, Walt Disney Pictures. So they're yeah. looking for first dibs at the American distribution rights by doing that. Uh, so perhaps unsurprisingly, it was decided that John Lasseter, who famously worked for Pixar and is a big fan of the work of Miyazaki, ends up being the executive producer for the English dub. And Lasseter, of course, would continue to produce English Studio Ghibli dubs for some time, though presumably he will not be working in this capacity anymore since he has left Disney in the wake yeah. of sexual misconduct allegations. Oh, and that's great. all we'll say about that. Yep, we'll end, it, we'll end that there. <laughs> <laughs> Just felt I'd remind the audience <laughs> a little bit. John Lasseter, he, he did Toy Story. Yep. He, he did. Mm-hmm. And some other stuff. Uh, so I thought that movie was done by John John Pixar Pixar. (laughs) Mr. Pixar yes so let's talk about this English dub cast which as per fucking usual is pretty fucking good very fucking good (laughs) so the voice of Chihiro slash Sen was provided by a young Dave Chase. Uh, this girl is uh, the voice of Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. You can kind of tell. Um, oh yeah, very much so. But I think also funny to note is she was little girl in Donnie Darko and also she's the fucking uh, evil thing that comes out of the well in, in the ring. Comes out of the TV. You know, the fucking the long hair drooping drooping over, can't see the face, demon thing. Whatever the thing is in the ring, this is her <laughs> complete opposite kind of role. Haku is played by Jason Marsden, who you may recognize as the voice of Max in a goofy movie. You may uh-huh. recognize as Tack from Tack in the Power of Juju. You may, mm-hmm, may recognize... Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding, you wouldn't recognize this, but I wrote it down anyway because it's funny to me personally. Him as the voice of Nermal in Garfield Gets Real. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's Haku right there. Uh, did a good job. Uh, Suzanne Plachette is the voice of Yubaba and also Zaniba. Um... This was her final film role before she passed away in 2008, uh, much later, but still she like basically retired at that point. Uh, 
she's in The Birds, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, as a much younger actress. Uh, she was a regular mm-hmm. on the Bob Newhart show. You know, a classical actress, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. She does an amazing job in this. Uh Oh, she's she gives both of these characters the same voice, but they both feel like entirely separate characters by mm-hmm. the performance. It works really well. Uh, we got David Ogden Steers coming back as Kamaji. Uh, we talked about him a couple weeks ago because he was uh, the voice of uh, the mechanic guy that he goes to see, who's... Uh, the father of the girl who ends up helping Porco on his journey. Uh, he was so he was in Porco Rosso, but he's most famous for Mash playing Charles. Uh, he's also in uh, mm-hmm. he's the clock in Beauty and the Beast. He's uh, in Pocahontas as the villain. He's in Lilo and Stitch as the scientist. He's in a lot of stuff. David Ogden Steers is great, uh, or was great. I believe he's passed away. Um, Susan Egan is here as Lynn, who is uh, one of my favorite characters in this movie. This is the uh, yeah. We need to talk about her much. She's uh, she's your Miyazaki film like cool badass like your bigger sister character. Woman character. You know, yeah. I, I uh, had um, she's a lot more harsh, but I, it gave me similar vibes to uh, I forget the character's name in in Kiki. Uh, yeah, the yeah. painter. Um, mm-hmm. She comes across as like a, a huge bitch at first, but then as as the movie goes on in Miyazaki fashion, uh, she's a lot more likable. Uh, yeah. Susan Egan was also in Porco Rosso. Um, trying to remember who she voiced. I didn't write it down because I'm a big idiot person. Uh, Could you have a big idiot person? Oh, I believe she is. Uh, I'm trying to remember the fucking character's name. Why can't I remember the character's name? Pretty significant character here. Uh, Gina. She was Gina in Porco Rosso. That's it. Yeah, and I believe I mentioned in that episode that she's also the voice of uh, Meg in Hercules, which is a great performance, memorable character in that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. So here's a weird one. Man, this movie has so many, like, weirdly named uh, characters. Uh... But I need to look this one up. Yeah, okay, so this is Chichiyaku, who is one of like the lower tier bosses. He's like a higher up in the, the bathhouse bosses. I believe he's the one so the that guy, like, like, talks to Lin. He yells, and, like, uh, like she asks for like a one of those passes. The bath yeah, token. And he's like, no. Yeah. So and he like goes to the guy who yells when like yells at them when they're trying to pick up the gold and says, "Hey, that, that's company property." Right. Well, there's there's that two guy. of them that look similar. There's Chichiyaku and Aniyaku. So Chichiyaku is voiced by Paul Eating, who is the fucking colonel from Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid Two. This is the man that's that great. says, "I need scissors 61." Uh, <laughs> he's also in Ben Ten. If if you care about that <laughs> and then nice. Aniyaku is John Ratzenberger who if you've watched Pixar movies you have certainly heard because he's the voice of Ham in Toy Story and also he is in like every Pixar movie he shows up like it's yeah. he's one of their like recurring jokes he's like the big tractor trailer in 
not a tractor trailer, like a big semi trailer that carries Lightning McQueen around in cars. He's the abominable snowman <laughs> in Monsters Inc. He's he's you know, and he was he was a classic character from Cheers. Uh, is like his big previous claim to fame. Uh, he's great. Uh, we got Bob Bergen as Aogeru, who is uh, the little asshole frog, and then I guess later he is the voice of No Face. No Face kind of takes on the voice of Aogeru, uh, who is like his first, I guess, victim, for lack of a better word. Yeah. yeah. So Bob Bergen we saw before because he voiced Lupin in the Castle of Cagliostro dub. And if you remember from back then, I told you that he was the voice of Porky Pig from Space Jam Onwards. And I'm going to uh-huh. say it again here. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's great. Um, everybody good. Uh, there's another frog spirit. I think it's the one that they run into on the bridge while Haku is trying to escort Sen past everybody without being seen. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is the one. Other than that, it might be later, but I bring it up because he's voiced by Roger Bumpus, who is fucking, fucking Bumpus. Squidward. So Conroy Bumpus? No, not Conroy Bumpus. <laughs> 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 oh, man. That's a Sam Max hit the road glad, reference. Yeah, I, I wasn't. And nobody who listened to this show I wasn't got that. Say what it was a reference to. <laughs> I was just gonna say if you know, you know. But anyway, yeah, Roger Bumpus is Squidward, who is quite possibly one of the like the best cartoon character ever made. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. Right. Uh, no, Squidward's great. There. Uh, Tara Strong, which is a name you've probably heard of is the scary giant baby. And I recognize that right away because yeah. it's a voice that she's done before because it sounds a bit like Timmy Turner. And yep. yeah, she's Timmy Turner, but she's also, you know, as roles and Powerpuff Girls, Raven and Teen Titans. Tara Strong is basically mm-hmm. in every cartoon ever made. She's like yeah. the Nolan North of female uh, cartoon characters, you know? Right. <laughs> She has a very, very large uh, resume, I bet. <laughs> um, All right, Ken, you keep hitting them with the shit. Yeah. It's my turn to pee. Okay, well, I wanted you to hear these ones, man. These are funny as Okay, well, okay, we'll finish it up. I'll, I'll wait, I'll wait. Shihiro's Go. dad, Michael uh-huh. Chiklis. Didn't realize it. Weird from the Shield and Fantastic Four. Yeah, I didn't. No. Yeah, I didn't realize. And then that the either. other one, you could go pee. Uh, Chihiro's mom is Lauren Holly from Dumb and Dumber and What Women Want. Uh, <laughs> so that's fun. great. Great, thank you. I'm go pee. I, I don't know if you're gonna start going to like the stats or anything like that, uh, but you can. I mean, I, I'd like for you to to be here and comment on that. So I'll just find something else to talk about. Okay, yeah, just just for just for a minute. No I'll problem, be right back. man. All right, all right, guys, he's gone. We could talk about Tony Hawk safely. Nah, I'm just kidding. Um, Spirit Away is fucking fantastic, guys. Um, I don't know what else to really say about it, but it's really fucking good. I uh, I think there's there's a lot to be said for the initial premise and how fucking crazy it feels to, that you're just thrown into this world. Uh, 
because it kind of lulls you into a bit of a false sense of security that the movie's going to like be paced somewhat slowly because it's real like uh, she's upset that she's moving to a new town. Her parents are kind of like absent-minded and they don't really care, but then they go look at this thing that they want to look at because they're like, come on, it'll be cool. And then she just walks away for like a second and then, oops, her parents are giant pigs now. Literal pigs. And it's like it's like a scary moment. It's great. It works really well. And then all of a sudden there's like a million ghosts walking around. It kind of just throws you right into it. It is very much like, you know going through the Twister and Wizard of Oz, or, you know, going through the, uh... How's Alice get to Wonderland? For some reason I'm seeing, like, a like a well, but I know that like one of the sayings is, like, Alice through the looking glass. Uh, whatever it is. It's been a while since I've seen Alice in Wonderland. Uh, and, and I've never read the book. I suppose I could, but it is, like... I don't know how I would feel about it as an adult. Not that I can't experience children's media, but still. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole, that's right. That makes sense, because she chases the rabbit. Uh, right. Man, Alice in Wonderland is fucking crazy. There's a lot of crap in here. I'm looking at a plot synopsis. Bill the Lizard. Don't remember Bill the Lizard. That's a really funny name, though. If I can click on it and see what he looks like. Well, he looks like a lizard. That's him. <laughs> That's Bill the Lizard. Oh, I guess he is in the 1951 Disney film. I don't remember this at all. He's a chimney sweep with a Cockney accent. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you learn something every day, I suppose. Not that I really learned anything useful. Yeah, so I kind of like how it has a similar, like, strange, large cast of characters. Uh, that baby creepy, though. No thank you. Do not want. So, against its budget of between 15 and 19 million dollars, uh... Thank you, Wikipedia, for sometimes listing it in yen and sometimes listing it in dollars. Very convenient. <laughs> anyway, uh, Spirited Away grossed a staggering $383.4 million, becoming the highest-grossing film ever in Japan. Uh, this record was broken quite recently by the Demon Slayer movie. Now, I have here an interview with Miyazaki. Uh, from this year in its entirety and I'm going to read okay. it for you Josby okay uh, Miyazaki was approached while on the street picking up trash uh, cleaning up so perhaps that explains why he is the way he is in this interview here's that interview Box office sales for Demon Slayer are approaching that of Spirited Away. What's your view on that? Well, I don't think it has anything to do with me. 
It's better if people don't concern themselves with things like box office records and concentrate on making their workplaces harmonious instead. It's fine as long as you work hard on what you're making. Have you watched Demon Slayer? No, I haven't. I rarely watch other things. I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. I'm a retired old man picking up trash. Some fans will be upset if Spirited Away doesn't retain its historic number one spot. That sort of thing isn't worth worrying about. There's always inflation in the world. Right now, I have to pick up trash. <laughs> so, you're currently working on How Do You Live? Is it all going well? I'm doing it. I'm doing it while retired. You should direct any questions about that to Toho, because I don't know everything about it. I have to go around and pick up trash, so... And that is the entire interview. <laughs> it's it's kind of magical. I don't know. It's like, he just does not want to be bothered. Uh, anyway... <laughs> the movie has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, is, uh, is real good. Lol. <laughs> That's my professional opinion on Spirited Away. My review on Letterboxd will be, it's real good, lol. <laughs> That's it. <sighs> you got anything else you want to say about it? No. I'm good, like, man. I got one more prompt I could ask you, if that would help. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, if you want to, like, Lots of weirdos in this movie. Lots of weird creature designs. What's your favorite weirdo creature design? I know mine. Uh, Fuck, what's it? The Radish Spirit's my favorite. Bro, he big. (laughs) What's his deal? He's creepy. Dude, He's, he's real big, real weird, real creepy, and then when he walks, he squeaks. Yeah, I don't know. I guess Bro. I guess he is friend <laughs> because he doesn't. He it, is friend. He we are introduced to him at a part before everybody realizes they're working with Sen, and people don't know that she's human right away, and he doesn't rat her out, even though he definitely looks at her. And probably notices that she's human, but he doesn't care. He's just going about his day, you know. My mm-hmm. favorite weird creature design is those weird ass three heads stacked on top of each other that oh, just yeah, dude. Bop, bop around <laughs> and make weird noises. They just go like boop 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 boop, and uh, <laughs> those things are great. And, and there's this really, really strange bit where... So they get turned into the baby. And they just eat a bunch of stuff and take advantage of the fact that they're baby now. And then, like... Uh, when... When a Yubaba realizes that the that is not her baby and turns them back they get all like oh fucking shit and they like get out of there and they like open the door <laughs> by like stacking yeah. on top of each other and getting the fuck out of dodge real quick before they face the wrath of Yubaba I suppose um I love those things they're so fucking weird 
no explanation for what they are, and I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess we're at the point where we rank. Yes, we Currently, are. we got in ascending order Porcaroso, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, Castle of Cagliostro, Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, and at the top, Princess Mononoke. So, where do we put Spirited Away? I would say, I, don't, I think you're with me on this. Mm-hmm. I want to put it at the number two slot. Um, I still think, at the end of the day, um, Princess Mononoke is a more emotionally cohesive film. Um, with like, it, it, it's a movie that has like more like drive. I think. Um, and I think it's what sets it apart from like. A large chunk of Miyazaki films, actually. Um, the only exception, in my opinion, being when Rises, when we'll get to that. But um, I think uh, something that's really fun about Miyazaki films, but not always like something that's super great to me, is uh, how they do just kind of like not have like straightforward cohesive drive and kind of meander it's great to exist in those worlds and since they're so carefully thought out and like well made it doesn't really become an issue but then what i like so much about mononoke is the combination of those two things like having like a kind of like your your driven like forward plot while having that same kind of effect i think gets spirited away just kind of misses the mark on that category and that's why I think Mononoke is better. I understand what you're saying. Um, I just think... Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I like Mononoke more. But I don't think it is by a wide margin. Um, no, it's not. It, 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 look, what, my complaint is incredibly minor. Yeah. And my only complaint no, I gotcha. about Spirited Away. We're at the end <laughs> of the day, like I think I would probably give a 10 out of 10 to both of these films. Um, I yep, just slightly I prefer Mononoke more, and I don't even think I have a clear-cut reason for that, like you just gave. Because uh, I, while I agree with what you're saying, I don't think. I think really, like, I don't know. I just like Mononoke more, I guess, and that's my main reasoning. <laughs> like, I don't have anything like definitive to say about why I like it more. Because they're both excellent. I guess I could ask you this. When do they mm-hmm. stop being a 10 out of 10? <clears throat> so, Mononoke is a 10 out of 10. Right, Spirit Away is 10 out of 10. Tiki's Delivery Service? 10 out of 10. Sure, My Neighbor Totoro. <clears throat> 9 okay. out of 10. That's That's where we hit it? I think it's where it stops. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I would say Totoro, Castle in the Sky, Castle of Cagliostro, all 9 out of 10. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Porcaros is an 8. Yeah, Nausicaa might be an 8 as well, but I I think it's way better than Porco, though. Uh, Maybe it's like an Um, Mm 8.5. Yeah. So that's where we're sitting with that. 
Yeah, and like the reason why I don't think Totoro is like a ten, is like literally it's the, the thing like, you just mentioned. The embodiment yeah. of the same reason, right? Is that like, but that that's all that movie is. So like, <laughs> no plot, only vibes. I, I think it's yeah. <laughs> Right, but the vibes are so good right. that I, I, it's getting that it's you know it's getting at that the same time. Kiki still. is kind of like no plot, only vibes too, but it still ha- but it still has it. Um, yeah, like there there's still a lot going mm-hmm. on there, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, that, that's kind of where I try to stand on it. I think uh, yeah, I, I like that list. I think yeah, it's I like uh, this list the objectively well. correct answer. I'm yeah, kidding. I don't know. Objectively <laughs> correct is hard to say when the movies are this good. No. Um, yeah, they're when they're all tens. Like we get to, we get to the end of the day here. Those those like four movies. Yeah. Right. Because I I don't like I've seen House plenty of times. I don't know if you have. Um, uh, I don't think House is the ten by any stretch of the imagination. Never seen House. Don't know much about um, it. House Moving Castle is next week, but um, I, yeah, I don't know much about right. it. It's more of the, that. That's in the eight range for me personally. Do you think it'll be our new um, bottom tier? Not that it's bad, just be, you know. Uh, maybe it's gonna be it's gonna be close. I think. Okay, I'll see how I feel. Uh, the three we have left are Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, which also might be, from what I've heard, that lower category, tier. and then The Wind yeah. Rises, which will we're probably gonna debate whether it's number one or not over one and okay. Right. If I had to guess. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna have a good one with that know, one. I've I think. seen Wind Rises before, and I realize that there's an argument to be made there. But I like Mononoke a lot, having rewatched it a right. third or fourth time here for this uh, show. That being said, that can all be hashed out later. Next week we're doing right. Howl's Moving Castle, and uh, you know, even mm-hmm. though I hear that it's one of the not as good ones, I still hear that it's a good one because they're all good ones. They're all good so ones. I'm still very excited yeah. to watch that shit. They're all good ones, so it's still gonna be a good time. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah, and with that, uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. Uh, goodbye. The Snyder cut of Spirited Away. Please don't ever. Bye. Please. Oh God, I want to die.